It is a privilege to be here. It's a privilege to open God's Word. I was just sitting here and actually praying before I came up, and I thought, how amazing is it that I get to take the Word of God and open it and share it with people? That, that's an amazing privilege, and I don't take that lightly. And as I share today, and you can take your Bibles and turn to Exodus 14, if you would. We're going we're gonna to look at that passage well. As I share today, there's, there's nothing, I don't think, that'll be new to you. There's not usually anything new when we go to the Word. I mean, it's something that we have heard, we've been taught, trust that we're growing in, and so forth. And yet, this, this passage, uh, the basic outline that I'm going to share was actually given to me a couple years ago when I desperately needed it. I took it home and I, I wrestled through it and I, I thought about how, what my life looked like. And I was so convicted of what I didn't want to be and what I wanted to be. And I, that's my desire to share with you today. Um, it, all of us, I believe here, maybe there's somebody that's not saved and, and doesn't understand that, and if so, I trust you'll talk to somebody, find that out. But most of us, at least, want to walk in faith. We want to be a child of Abraham who was known for his faith. We, we desire, and I think most of us would say, we try to walk in faith. But what I have found is that what I think I do or what I credit myself for doing is often not what I am doing. I'm often living in a different way than that. And as we, as we go through this story about the children of Israel leaving Egypt, uh, I want you to see some of the things, the way they respond. I want you to see if that's the way you respond. I think about where you're at as a church. And, and as I said in the, the ABF time, I, I so appreciate Calvary Baptist Church. I've known this church since the 70s when you were just in the basement back there. I had friends that were here then. Since, in fact, the first time I actually came and ministered here, I was actually with Ron Abbas, camp director, and I don't know what year it was, uh, but we weren't, you weren't in this building. It was back in the late 70s, early 80s. And we shared the camp presentation. We did it on a Sunday evening. And right at the end of the service, we had just concluded the service, and the tornado sirens went off. And you all headed to the basement, and we jumped in the car, and we headed home. (laughs) But it's Iowa. And do you know what we found when we got to North Iowa? You're having a tornado down here. What were we having? Snow. We were having a blizzard. We got stuck right outside the camp. We didn't even make it home. That was that much difference in in what it was. And you know what they're having up there today? Snow. We have a snowstorm. I actually was going to leave early this morning, but I went to Des Moines last night because there's a big storm up there right now. We don't have church up there tonight today because of the snowstorm. So you just, Iowa's different. Um, It's good. Exodus chapter 14. And I'm going to start at verse 5. We'll come back later and pick up some of the rest. And I'm going to read, and I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard. It's a little bit different. I actually do it on purpose. Uh, some of you might have that one. But I, I find that when we, we read the Scripture over and over and over, it, 
we don't always hear it. And I want to make you think. So as you're reading it, it makes you think. And as you bring the two translations together and that. So you follow along as I read. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. He got his chariot ready and he took troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out triumphantly. Important word. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horses and his army chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pi-Hawath in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help and said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm, and see the Lord's salvation he will provide for you. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to break camp. As you lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them, and I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army, and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and the Israelite forces. The cloud was there in the darkness, yet it lit up the night. So neither group came near the other all night long. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind all that night, turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on the right and on their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and they went into the sea after them. Then during the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw them in confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because Yahweh is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth while the Egyptians were trying to escape from it. The Lord threw them into the sea. The waters came back, covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. None of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on the ground 
with the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Would you love to be where you are today? Why do we think that was greater than what God wants to do today? Let's pray, and we're going to think about that. Father, we bow before you, the God of the universe, the creator. You spoke and you put everything into existence. We saw this morning a new life that has been born. You put breath into this precious girl's body. But you give us breath every day of our lives or we would not be here. And God, I'm so convinced that it is your desire that the name of Yahweh, the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted high in Mount Pleasant through Calvary Baptist Church, through us individually, that you would use us to proclaim his name. And God, I pray that as as we walk through this passage today, you will help us to see that way too often we walk in fear and we do not walk in faith. Open our eyes, give us courage, help us to choose courage, and we'll thank you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want you to think for a moment of what this was like. If you go back to chapter 12, you will... Thank you. If you go back to chapter 12, you will see that as they're leaving, they're leaving triumphantly. And as they leave triumphantly, the the whole concept, it says they spoiled them. And so if you remember the story well, Moses had told them to go to the Egyptians and ask for their gold and silver. And they had done that. And the Egyptians, because of everything that had been going on, had given tremendously. So, so sometimes we think when, Israelite, when the Israelites left that they left poor and needy because they'd been slaved. But that is not the concept that you read here. You read that they left They had spoiled the Egyptians. They left triumphantly. So they're leaving in great victory, loaded down with riches. And they're going to the promised land. So what do they expect life to be like? They've left Egypt. They've left slavery. They're headed to the promised land. God has blessed them. And they are looking for life to be amazing. Sometimes I think that's what happens to us. God saves us from our sin. We know where we're going, and we think life ought to be good. But that's not the way life works, and it's not the way God works in us. God God seldom, in fact, it says here, he did not take them the short route. It was only a few days' journey to the promised land. You know that, right? But God says here, he says, I'm going to take you this way, and I'm going to put you in a hard spot, and I'm I'm going to teach you a lesson, and I'm going to teach Egypt a lesson, and I'm going to teach the world a lesson. 
And are you ready to be part of that? And we're going to see that they weren't necessarily. So let me ask you this. When life isn't going well for you, what do you think about God? Do you ever think, God, come on, you're failing? Now, we would never say that, right? We would never, ever say that. But what do we think? When life is hard, what do we think about how God is doing? And then I want you to think for a moment, are we judging God? And just that statement in itself is enough to make us go, duh. But every time we complain, we're judging God. We're saying, God, you're not. And I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty good whiner. I can whine pretty easy. It's, it comes natural to me. God's goal is not my comfort. God's goal is my sanctification. God's goal is not my success here on earth. God's goal is my sanctification, that I would become like Jesus Christ. And God is going to work and shape and move in my life to make me do that. He promises that. And that's a great thing. So the Christian life has never lived in a straight line. You know this. But we, we get this idea, we get these goals in our mind, even good God-given goals. This is where I want to go, and God gives us a detour. And we're like, what's up with this? When things go bad, are they really bad? That's a good theological question for you to wrestle with over lunch. When things go bad, are they really bad? And what do I really think about them? I'm going to let you think about that. I want you to see three ways, though, that the Israelites responded to this situation. When God says, I want you to go here, and you're going to get stuck between the, the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, and I want to see how you respond to that. Look back at, with me at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and they saw the Egyptians coming after them and the Israelites were terrified and they cried out to the Lord for the help and they said, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done by taking us out? Here's the way fear lives. The past is better. You ever think that way in your life? I mean, we all have come to those conclusions. We all think back. It doesn't matter whether it's my family life, my personal life, um, the life of my church, the, the, our country. The past was better. And we think what the past was, and we look back, and through rose-colored glasses, we think somehow that's better. And we celebrate. It's like, man, remember when this happened and when those things happened. And there, there's some good things about that. But there's some really dangerous things. Was the past really better? And I want, you to, I want you to think. Even in our society today, when we can say the past was better. We, you know, we didn't used to have near the drugs we had. We didn't used to have near the sexuality problems that we have. We didn't used to have. But what did we have? The, the sins were just different. The sins were there. The past wasn't better. And it's important that we remember that. The same thing is true as we think about our church. The past wasn't better. 
It was different. It had a different set of problems. It had a different set of victories. But it wasn't better. And when I start thinking about the past, I get myself all twisted up. It's really interesting. This is a little bit of a sidelight, but thinking about the past is better. We often think back to some of the days of the you know, bygone and what it was like. Donald Bedreau, and I don't really know who he is, but he argues that nearly every middle-class American today is way better off than the richest man 100 years ago. And I want you to hear what he has to say. He says, life even for the wealthy people back then was life without airplanes, air conditioning, radios, televisions, films, overnight shipping, antibiotics, contact lenses. Food was less appetizing and cost about one-third of your salary about twice as much as today. There were no refrigerators, no stoves, no clothes washers, no dryers, year-round produce, computers, smartphones, video games, oh well, Uber, and you can go on and on. What, was life really better? Uh, from camp, people often uh, talk about our camp and, and many people, older generation, they'll say, I was back there when we stayed in the tents. And I said, you want to do that today? Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, I don't really want to do that. No. Life wasn't better. But when I live in fear, when I'm concerned about what God is doing, I can fall into that place. Asaph, in a little different situation in, in uh, Psalm 73, he's complaining to God about the fact that the ungodly are blessed Living, living comfortably, and he, he's saying this isn't right. And then he goes into the house of the Lord and he says, oh, I didn't have the right perspective. And when I don't have the right perspective, I can get really messed up. And I want you to think with me. Fear makes me think and say, dare I use the S word, stupid things. Fear makes me say and think stupid things. Verse 11 again, I want you to see that fear says only the worst will play out. Verse 11 says, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone. Only the worst will play out. When somebody comes up with an idea, what's your response? See, God said, I want you to go here. So they go, and then the Egyptians come behind them, and they're like, we're going to die. Only the worst will play out. Is that your negative attitude? Is that, is that the normal response you have to life? Only the, this isn't going to work. You know, the reason most things don't work is because we're, we self-prophesy. We make them not work by our doubt by our not believing in them, by not trusting them. Let me, let me ask you, was, Mo, was, was Pharaoh really going to kill the Israelites? Is that why he had come chasing after them to kill them? No. He came chasing after them to take them back, to make them slaves. What did they just say it would be better if we were? Slaves. He's going to do what they're saying is going to be better. So they're whining about what 
They're wanting what he's going to do to them, but that's what they've been praying not to have. So they're all convoluted, which is exactly what happens when we let fear in our lives. And when we start saying, this won't work, we just get all messed up in our minds. And that's exactly where they're at. I want you to think like a football team for a moment. If the quarterback calls a play and the line thinks it's really dumb, or they think the quarterback is just being, you know, he's wanting to carry the ball all the time, and the line just stands there, what happens? It doesn't go very far. He smoked. Or he, he calls a play and he's going to give it to the running back, and the tight end is like, yeah, right, he gets it again. And the tight end just sits there and doesn't do anything. And the linebacker knows the tight end isn't a threat. And he's there to take care of the running back. And it doesn't go anywhere. What happens in a church when I say this won't work? And I don't get behind it. What happens in a church when I when I'm not passionately involved in the decisions that are made and I am giving support to it. Colossians chapter three says, every one of us should be teaching and admonishing one another. Every one of us ought to be teaching and admonishing and encouraging one another. The church has no room for, no offense to the back seat, people sitting in the back seat not involved. There's, there's no room. The, the church is designed that we all work together, that we all do it. It actually is a team. But today, we have this, we have this concept that we come to church to worship by watching the paid professionals on the platform, and we're observers. And that is so unbiblical. I don't really think that's where you guys are at. But that is so unbiblical. We dare not do that. Let me go on. Verse 11 again. Leadership cannot be trusted. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us out? When things start going wrong, we start pointing fingers. It's it's human nature. When things start going wrong we start pointing fingers at different people and it's like, here's the problem and here's the problem and you know the, whole, the old rule about pointing the fingers. There, there's four pointing back at ourselves and we have, to, we have to really be careful about... Hebrews says, obey those that rule over you. There is a, there's a definite command to do that. I want you to think with me. Joshua, I I love the book of Joshua, at least the first half of it. Joshua is taking over after Moses, and Joshua is tasked of leading this group of two and a half plus million people who have for 40 years been notorious about not going and doing what they ought to do, right? So who wants that job? So Joshua chapter one, three times, God says to, to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Three times he says that. It would take me more than three. There's there's no way. At the end of chapter one, the people say that to him. They say to Joshua, don't be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Go for it. We'll follow you. 
Yeah, right, like you followed Moses, right? Is, is that what they're going to do? But you know what they did? And I want you to think for a moment about Joshua. Joshua leads the people across the Jordan River and they conquer Jericho and they have this great celebration and then they decide they're going to go conquer Ai and they go attack Ai and what happens? 36 men die. 36 men don't come home to their families. 36 husbands are gone because Joshua made a mistake. Joshua didn't check with God before. He had prayed before they went to Jericho, but the victory happened, and now, hey, and there was sin in the camp, and they had not dealt with the sin in the camp. Ai, and you know the story. And as a result, catastrophe happens. The people still follow him. It's not very long after Ai that the, the men from Gibeon show up. And if you remember, they come with their old ragged clothes and their worn out shoes and their moldy bread. And they say, we're from a long ways away. We want to be your servants. And Joshua said, well, that sounds good. Okay, go ahead. And where were they from? The neighboring town where they were just going to go attack. And Joshua failed. Here's the point. Leaders fail. Leaders don't get it right. Why don't we follow our leaders even after they make some major failures? Parents, let me ask you. How many times have you failed with your kids? And do you expect them to respect and obey you anyway? And yet when it comes to our leaders in a church, other places, and they fail, we start pointing fingers and saying they can't be trusted. And I think that's, that's, that's living in fear. It's not living in confidence that God knows what he is doing and what he wants to do. I want you to see very quickly three ways that we should respond. We, we should respond with the future is before us with great vision and hope and confidence. It's kind of mind-boggling to think about us not thinking that way. I want you to go back, though, to verse 1. We didn't read this. I want you to go back to verse 1, and I want you to see what, um, what God told Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pihaharoth between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering around in the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by the means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So, We have this tendency to, to put our finger up and think this is us and this is the world, right? We never say it, but we act it. But what does God say? This is me and this is the world. And life's not all about me. 
And God chooses here to put the Israelites in a place of hardship so that his glory will be revealed. And sometimes God chooses to put ourselves in a place of hardship so his glory will be revealed. And sometimes the results end up like this, and sometimes they end up differently, but it's always God has a plan for that. And do I really believe that the future is before me? Do I really believe that tomorrow God has some great plan for me? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's the plan I would choose. But is it a great plan? Is it his plan? And can I trust him with that? And do I believe he wants to do something? And do I believe that about our church? Do I believe God wants to do something like that with our church? Am I convinced of that? You, you read, it was really interesting, you read Ephesians chapter 2. Turn, turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, because I, I want to read that quickly. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 1 again, and we're going to reread what you read. But I, wanna, I want you to hear it. We read it, but I want you to hear it. I want you to think about it. I know that was Kevin's desire for you, not, but I, I really want you to see that. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. That's who we were. We were children under wrath. There was no hope. There was no future. There was nothing. Verse four, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with the Messiah so so me and the Messiah are made alive together that's amazing made us alive together even though we were dead in trespasses you are saved by grace together with Christ Jesus he also raised us up he seated us in the heavens that's where I am so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us not so he might display us like look what Dave Callison did but he put us up there to say, look what I did. I pulled Dave Callison out of the pit, out of the filth, out of the pig pen, and I put him up here. I did that. That's amazing. For you're saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's God's gift. It's not of works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so we should walk in them. And the point is, God saved us. God gave us a job. God has a plan for us. And the future, the future is amazing. Tomorrow's amazing. I just, I just can't see far enough. I've got blinders on, and I'm stuck looking at the mud on my boots. 
and not seeing what God has done and is doing and wants to do in and through me. And that's a shame. Go back to Exodus. Secondly, it's possible to be brave. What do angels say every time that they come see man? <laughs> Fear not, because if an angel shows up here, my knees will quake. You know, you, you got to have that. Fear not is what they say. That's what God tells Moses. It's what he tells Joshua. Here, here's the point. Bravery isn't necessarily a lack of fear, but bravery is a choice. It's a lot like love. Love is a choice. Love's not, you know that. It's not just an emotion that happens to me. It's a choice that I make. Bravery isn't something that somebody puts on me. It's a choice that I make. I choose to do what is right. How do I do that? There's, there's a lot I'd like to say here, but for sake of time, let me just think for a moment. How do I choose what is right? How do I choose to be brave? It's by what I put in my mind day in and day out. I cannot expect to be brave tomorrow when all last week I have been filling my mind with fear. But when I have been, Philippians 4.8, thinking on these things which are honest and just and pure and all of that, when that's true of my life, when I'm in the Word on a regular basis and reading it and seeing what God is doing, when I'm reading the stories about how God takes the Israelites and leads them through the Red Sea, when I'm reading all of those things and seeing what God wants to do in my life, when I'm doing that every day, then when the troubles come, it's not too hard to choose what is right. I can choose that then. Why was Moses calm? Because Moses knew God. And when we know God, it changes the way we respond. Do you hear God speak in times of hardship? Do you pour through the scripture looking for answers? Is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 something you have hanging on your wall? And I bet if I asked you to raise your hands, half of you would have that in your house somewhere. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. And we have that. We need to move on. Lastly, we can always trust God to have an amazing plan. I don't have time to read it all again here. But I want you to think through, I want you to think through what we read earlier. So if, if you recall, they come up here, the Red Sea's right in front of them. The Red Sea's right in front of them. They see the Egyptians coming behind them and they get scared. And God says, don't fear. Moses, you're going to put your rod out and the sea's going to part. But remember what the angel of the Lord went from in front of them to behind them. And a pillar of cloud. It's dark for the Egyptians, so they can't see. It's nighttime now. It's light for the Israelites. Moses puts his rod out, and the sea parts, and all night long, the Israelites walk through the Red Sea. You realize they walk through there in the night, because in the morning watch, when the Egyptians are chasing them through, 
And God says, huh, maybe your wheels should fall off or, or the bearings go out. So they start wobbling and you're not able to go very fast and you can't do very well. And I'm just, just mess you up a little bit here. And, they're, they're go- and then they get scared. And it says in the morning at daybreak, the Israelites are all across. The Egyptians haven't seen them all night because the cloud that's between them. And then God says, Moses, put out your rod. And the sea covers them. It says in the morning, they see them washed up on the shore dead. Did God have a plan? Could they see that plan? Is there any way possible that they could have understood what God's plan was? No. There's no way they could have said, oh, this is what God's going to do. That's why we call it walking by faith. We can't see what God's plan is. We don't know how it turns out. But do I believe it's going to turn out the way he wants it to turn out? Do I believe he's going to use these circumstances in my life for his glory and my good? Because it is for my good. And I need to know that. If I walk in fear, the past is always better. If I walk in fear, I look at the plans and say it won't work. If I walk in fear, I say leadership can't be trusted. But when I walk in faith, oh, I know the future is amazing. I know it's amazing. I mean, we know heaven. We know that part. That's a given. It's just getting there. What's it going to be like? What, how does God, how's God going to use me for that? And I can choose to be brave. That's my choice. I can choose that. I can choose to walk uprightly. And I can always trust God to have an amazing plan. Here's my prayer for my life. I don't want, I don't want the name Dave Callison to be known for Dave Callison. But I so much want the name Dave Callison to be known for God. I don't, I don't want, and I, if, if God has that through the, through the path of suffering, then that's the path he has for me. And I have to walk through that path with faith. It's, it's not that I believe that I necessarily am going to see the C's part and it worked that way for me. It might. And it might be a different path that he has for me. But do I believe, do I believe with all my heart that I can trust him to have an amazing plan? Do I believe with all my heart that he can use me to make a difference in somebody else's life? And I'm a nobody. Do you trust God to use you that way? Do you trust God to use Calvary Baptist Church that way? Father, thank you for your word. God, nothing we said today is new. But I know in my life how easy it is not to live it. I pray for this church. I pray for the church as a whole, that you will encourage them I'm so excited for Pastor Scott coming on board and being their interim pastor and helping give some direction as they move forward. 
I'm so excited for the future that you have, the man that you will call someday uh, to be their senior pastor. Father, I'm so excited for the two pastors that they have here now and the leadership that they provide. So excited for the deacons and the teachers, Sunday school and the kids' classes and for their music leaders and, and every person that's involved cleaning the carpets or whatever. God, it is a privilege to walk with you. I'm excited what you're going to do with Calvary Baptist Church. But I pray for each individual person here today that they will get on board They'll be on team, and that you will use them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.